Hello, everyone. This is Ron Bush with Ron Bush Consulting, and you're listening to the Information Playground. Uh, thank you for joining us today. You can find us in a lot of different ways. Uh, the first one, and uh, probably one of my favorites, is WVLP. It's a, uh, a local radio station uh, in Valparaiso, Indiana. So if you're local there, it's 103.1 FM. They're a great bunch of people. They do a lot of good stuff in the community. And I hope you check out their website, wvlp.org. Uh, the website will show you what they're doing in the community and also tell you how you can be part of that through underwriting programs or being an active volunteer at the station. So um, give it a, a, a look, wvlp.org. We're broadcast there on Monday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. and 1 to 2 p.m. on Fridays. Uh, the Information Playground, we've started there several years back, and, uh, and they've got a real soft place in my heart. You can also find us on podcast stations, uh, w, uh, excuse me, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and six or seven other ones that I can never remember the names of uh, because I don't use them, but a lot of people do. Uh, there's also YouTube for the videos on this. Join us there. If you'd like to uh, find out more about uh, Ron Bush Consulting, we're a cybersecurity consultancy. You can find us at ronbushconsulting.com. You can check out my book, Staying Safe in a Very Dangerous World, available on Amazon. The subtitle on that is Think Before You Click. Um, I've used that several times in different programs. Um, things are uh, ratcheting up on the cybersecurity side of things. So doing that, thinking before you click is becoming more and more important. So um, we've got a special guest with us this morning. This is uh, part four of uh, what started out to be a three-part series. Um, it's, uh, it, we called it uh, Defining the Sound of Your Dream Client's Voice. We've altered that from time to time in conversation. And uh, if you look on YouTube, I may have altered it a little bit in the titles today is actually the conclusion to that. It's part four. And it's, uh, it's actually finding the sound of your dream client's voice today. So presenting that, the, the, the gentleman that is, uh, is giving us all this great information is the uh, owner and founder of Boiling Frog Development. You can find him at boilingfrogdevelopment.com. Good friend, Larry Young. Hello, Larry. Hey, Ron. How are you? Well, I'm great, and welcome back again. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Larry is a, a business development strategist, professional speaker, and the author of Walk the Sales Plank, an excellent book. I know it's available on Amazon because that's where I bought it. Um, you work with businesses to help them define the sound of their dream client's voice. It's um, been a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, uh, attention to this series. Uh, it's been well-received. You're uh, you're backed by popular demand, but you're also backed because I want to finish this up. I want to get the cream on that, uh, or the whipped <laughs> topping on that pyre. You want the details, right? don't you, Ron? Yes, you want the that's details. exactly right. So, <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, before we get into it, remind us again, what does a development strategist do and how, what do you help companies do? Yeah, yeah. So, the, so I help customers find the sound of their dream client's voice. And what that, what that means is that a lot of companies will have like a strategic plan, how they're going to kind of make their way in their industry and whatnot. And out of that comes the competitive strategy piece. And then what I help them do is I help them carry all of that through the processes, the resources, the people, the training, and help them deliver their sales professionals right in the center of their dream client's voice. So that they're not, if you will, like shooting a, a shotgun, so to speak, at and trying to hit something. They're more targeted, they're more approached. And then I think as we had spoke one other time, the real focus that I, I use is not only as we go through that, I'm focused on how their dream clients are making decisions. So that's the sound of the dream client's voice. How do they make purchase decisions? How do they think about making other capital acquisitions, those types of things, and connecting those two together. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, have a lot of fun doing it. Well, last time we spoke, you had this uh, glamorous term called uh, the, the three <laughs> bubbles, <laughs> which uh, 
I think you were a bit embarrassed about, but uh, you know, it's a, it's, it sticks in the memory, uh, three bubbles. So, so let's, uh, let's re remind our listeners and viewers what that is and, and define them for us again. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe that'll stick around the whole bubble idea, but the, when you're developing a business development strategy, I really kind of categorize them in the three overall starts. And one, the, the first bubble, a lot of times companies will use like cost leadership. So that's the idea of I'm going to be the lowest cost provider, my value chain, my supplier, everything's going to link in there. How I deliver that to my customer is all low price. So originally you kind of think of like the Walmarts of the world and things of that nature. And so there are people that do a great job, but that requires a certain strategy all the way through. The second kind of customer, or the second bubble would be finding the sound of your voice. So this is really, these are companies that really kind of are out there and say, look, I've got a new product or a new process, or I've invented something and I'm going to go to market with it. And I need a strategy to be able to do that. So an example of that would have been like in the early years of like uh, uh, Tesla you know, Tesla or Netflix, you know, Netflix shook up Blockbuster with kind of the idea of we're going to go to a subscription model. They shook the industry and they went that way. So in the early years, they'd be a good example of we're going to lead with this and people that love us are going to follow. <clears throat> the third uh, bubble is finding the sound of your dream client's voice. And so the reason that I think you wanted to come back by popular demand is that most businesses fall in that. I think we joked last time that most people think they're in the second bubble, like it's their voice, like they're doing something miraculous and their competitors aren't when reality, most small businesses fall in that finding the sound of your dream client's voice. And I think that's what you want to kind of pick a little bit about today. So you mentioned there were six steps. Um, in fact, we, we briefly went through them. Let's go through them in detail and Let's help our listeners get started on this. Yeah. So a lot of times, as we had talked about, Ron, you know, the, 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 the first step is really to establish the destination of where you want to go. And this is, uh, this is highly overlooked by most businesses. And really where you're, you're starting is you're trying to determine what is it that I really want to do? What is it that I'm really trying to accomplish with my strategic plan and my competitive advantage? And so when you think about it, I think we talked uh, on another episode where, where people a lot of times with their strategic plan will get very general. So Ron, you might say, I want to be the number one cybersecurity company in all of Southwest. Or where a bank might say, I want to, I want to uh, have the most market share. Or an accountant might say, I want to be the greatest auditing firm in, in the Phoenix metro area, as an example. And the question that you ask, and the reason why you start here is what, how do you define that? Like, how would you define the number one cybersecurity? What does that really even mean? And so when I come into organizations, it's the first place I start because I want to understand what they're defining. Where are they trying to grow? In a lot of cases, if they have a very, uh, I think, ambiguous uh, strategic plan or very general or very broad like that, it's very tough when you go all the way down that chain in your business development to really have something that stands out at the end, a product, i.e. salespeople that are out there that stands out. So you think about it, if you don't have great direction and you don't have kind of a real established of what you're trying to accomplish, you're lost. I was in the banking world for a long time, you know this, and so I've seen this and some of your listeners will get this right away. But a lot of times businesses, Ron, will say, I wanna grow just to grow. So I want 10% revenue. I want 20% revenue increase. And the truth is, is that always best? Right? Because there's, because you can grow, you can grow revenue by slashing your prices and doing twice the work for less the amount. I've watched people in the banking world, Ron, grow themselves broke. You know, they get all excited. Like, Oh, I think my strategy, I want to hook on with, I'm not picking a Walmart, but just a, a big, big area. And they've got to do all this volume at such a thin margin. And all of a sudden, they grow themselves broke. So for your listeners, when you're establishing this first step, same for your business, rather than saying, I want to be the number one cybersecurity company in Southwest, think about things like, I want to improve my gross profit margin by 10%, or I want to improve my net profit margin, you know, the money that comes out the bottom by 2%. 
or I want to, you know, I want to make this investment and I want my sales team to give me a five-year payback. So the reason that this becomes important before we kind of move on to you know, any of the next steps is that if you right now, if you have a company, let's say that you make $100 in revenue and at the bottom line, after all the, the lights are turned off and everybody's paid, you yield $5 in net profit. You would take taxes or whatnot, let's just say for hypothetical. What you want to do is you want to start to establish why you want to grow. So in this example, I want to grow to $7, Ron, instead of $5. That is a better plan that you can start to build a business development strategy, which we'll kind of move through and your listeners will see. Because if all of a sudden I cut, you come to me and you say, Larry, I'll do your cybersecurity for your company. And I try, I try to beat you down so low in price that all of a sudden it's a dollar for a hundred. Well, then all of a sudden I may not be the sound of your dream client's voice. Right. And so starting there, Ron, is really, really powerful in terms of defining why it is that you really want to grow, because that's the catalyst for everything we'll do after that. You know, I, it, it comes to mind, you know, I love to read and uh, I've been in business. Well, I've, I've been self-employed for 20 years now and, um, I've worked all my life. So I've worked in companies that had profit as the focus. That was money was always the focus. I find that that's usually self-defeating. One, because customers can sense that if all you are, all the customer is to you is a dollar sign, you're probably not going to go very far because people don't like being used that way. Yeah. And that comes across in decisions that you make subconsciously. So You'll make decisions uh, if, if service doesn't come out first and profitability only comes out first, then um, you'll make decisions based on that philosophy. We all have a philosophy. It's just whether we know what it is and whether we want to admit it or not. Yeah. If, if the philosophy is money and money only, chances are you won't go very far with it. I won't say that no one has, but I say that usually it doesn't work for people. Well, let me um, let me jump in on that, Ron, because that's an excellent point. But there's uh, <clears throat> there's no shame in saying I want to be the most profitable in my industry because that profitable company is the one that can seize on opportunities in a crisis, can keep employees on staff in a crisis, and can flourish in the good times. What what you'll see as we go through these steps is it's not so, the the extra profit is a byproduct of offering more value to your clients. So as we get through the steps, you'll see that. But there's nothing wrong with saying I can find clients that see more value that I can charge more for and thus earn a better profit from. And I think what you're talking about is balance. And yeah. where I started on the beginning was the extremes. Um, the other side of that is if you're if you're all you are about is value and you don't remember that if you don't have money, you don't stay in business. So you yeah. doesn't matter how good your services are, <laughs> you're not around to give them. Um, it's no good. That's so right. there's a there's a balance in there. So you can't be all one side or all the other side. Yeah, good point. Good point. So let's you we've talked about target customer. Um, let's spend some time here. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you keep the, maybe? Uh, well, let's just start there. How how do uh, how do we start there? How do we get? Started? Yeah, that's a good question. So your second step now that you've kind of defined you know where it is that I want to go. One of the key, uh, the next step is to start with your target customer in mind. And to your question, you know, how do we start to define these? And so a lot of this is work that is done, you know, with the team. And so I always tell organizations, make sure that it's, this isn't just a C-suite level decision that you're, you're, you've got the marketing, you've got the sales, and you've got the people involved in there. But what you're really trying to define is who these people are. So a nice CRM you know, obviously you can start to track data. When you think about, um, when you start to think about your target uh, customer mind, here's a really good example. Think about BMW, mm -hmm. the car BMW. You know, they're the ultimate driving machine. Now that in itself is not a, a goal, right? That is, it's not a, it's a goal. They may or may not have that in their strategic plan, but it is a picture, Ron, of who that ideal client is. And so if you just use the BMW, idea when they start to define and say ultimate driving machine now they can start to say what does that look like 
in order to be the ultimate, well, we may, maybe need a tighter chassis or we need better shocks or we need a steering wheel with a lot more stability. We need it to hug. We need it to be heavier or wider, whatever the case is. But they're making decisions on building that car that support what that vision is. And so now let's go back. I'm going to keep do, kind of doing a callback here, if you will. When you think about the destination of where you want to go, that's kind of what BMW, we want to be known as this. But then when you start with the target client, Ron, then it becomes more about, you know, what does that start to look like and how does that start to feel? How do you keep Excuse it straight? Me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so if, when you find that target customer, that's what supports step number one. So there was a, I, I should be able to cite it, but I can't think of the gentleman that, that did this study. So forgive me for that. But what, um, what was indicated, now we're talking in the B2B world, right? Or business, business to business or business to high C. So business to high C would be like your, uh, like maybe like financial services, your auditing services and accounting, maybe succession planning, you know, kind of those higher ticket consumers. We're not talking about you and I as consumers. In this world, if you want to have an ideal target client in mind, you, Ron, even in your business, shouldn't have over 150 to probably 400 target customers in the nation. Mm -hmm. And so when you start to think like that, you have to start to wean that down. So think about a big four accounting firm, you know, that does auditing for Fortune 500. Mm -hmm. Clearly, there's only 500 customers, give or take you know, the fact there's probably some large ones they still do it for. You get the idea. But each of those big four accounting firms only have 125 clients. They're fairly, you know, they're fairly balanced in there. Now, do they, because the moving one over is a meaningful endeavor. What customers do, and I see this all the time in, 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 uh, in, in consulting, is that they think that the world is their oyster. They think that everybody is their client, and they're not. So if it's bigger than that, then you're not drilling down far enough. And this becomes one of the big problems. So I'll give you a really good example. You know my business, so I do the business strategy. But inside of there, you know, I obviously do the sales coaching, the sales leadership, and I also do the sales training part is, is part of that piece of it in that, in that value chain. But there are, because of my background in banking, one of the things that my company does a lot of is sales coaching and, and sales training for bankers, right? Mm -hmm. So just to give you perspective, when I look at the target out there, there's over 7,000 banks out there. So I could easily say, well, I got 7,000 prospects, but then if I'm like that, I'm too big. Or my, my scope is too big. So if you look at the banks, and I, this is just research I've done over time just to illustrate, when you look at the banks that, are, that are at, would be candidates for sales coaching, are typically banks that are a billion or less in assets and they don't have a sales manager, right? So the, the commercial bankers report directly to the market president. The market president has a load of stuff on his plate or her plate and doesn't have time to coach them. So a great candidate, an ideal dream client is that, that stressed out market president that needs help. So, in that sphere of 7,500 banks, there's only 414 that fit that bill, that fit a billion dollars or less. But inside of there, because I've done the work and I've been around and I've done the homework like we're, we're going to talk about today, inside of that is about 150 potential clients. So now so, all of a sudden it becomes, yeah, so now all of a sudden it becomes more feasible, doesn't it? When the sales training piece of it on the banking side, there's, there's about another 350 banks that range between a billion in assets and 10 billion. So again, now when I break that down, there's some overlap and things of that nature. But generally speaking, Ron, to illustrate to your audience, in both of those buckets is only about 150 ideal clients. So, so let's walk through this. I can see that you've got your, your target client in mind. Uh, how do you how do you find the research or how do you do the research? Is this a, a service that you provide or do you point your clients in a particular direction or is it just I mean everything's kind of a little easier on the on the internet. But let's uh, let's take um, if uh, if you don't want to get that I don't know if you want to go that far with what you look for, but we could take uh, uh, 
not necessarily cybersecurity, because that's really it, part of my my thinking for a target client is I've got to have either the board or C-level or director or president or someone, whoever's in charge, has to understand the importance of it. Yeah. If you don't have the guy at the top on board on changing behavior, which means watching w what you click on, being careful, right. changing, changing the way you, you behave at work. If you don't have a guy that's on board with that, nothing's going to work because he's going to say, listen, you, you do the training for the employees over there, but I'm going to do what I want to because I'm the big cheese. I don't work with folks like that. So Understand. I, I, uh, I have in mind the target customer, but you know, it's kind of hard to find that stuff out without talking to each one. Yeah. And, and I've got the same problem. You know, everybody, every business and every person needs to understand cybersecurity. If you don't do that, then you're just, you're just put a neon sign with victim written across your forehead yeah. in front of you. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but that, but it's not for everyone. And yeah. I'm not looking for everyone. I'm looking for a specific business. Absolutely. So what I'm going to do, Ron, is I'm going to defer your question to the next step because that's how it is. So good transition. But before we leave to that, it's just paramount that businesses have a target. And if your target client list is bigger than that, you know, again, it depends on the industry, but bigger than 500, it's way too big. You're not narrow enough, which is going to defeat the next steps that we're going to talk about and the competitive advantage because you can't be all things to all people. Right. And, and there's too much competition. So you're trying to find, again, the, the, the ideal, the target customer is the one that you can deliver value, which we'll get to. But I used to, I used to tell um, uh, a lot of my sales teams, and, I, and this is one of the things I would in your world too, is that you have to go find the wish list, the Christmas list, or whatever you want to call it, of your 50 dream clients. So I have this saying in training that's called own your 50. And I don't care if you're an accountant in Mesa that, that says, look, we're, we want to build out our auditing. And so here's the 50 clients that we want. If you're a, if you're a bank in, in, in Phoenix or Tucson, and you say, look, these are, this is kind of our ideal target then you need to own your 50 or each, each salesperson has to own their 50. It depends on the size of the business. Right. And that's what you work from focusing on the, the top 10 of those going through the process that I teach. And then you've got to then kind of uh, uh, move through those 50, but you've got to have those and you have to run before we move on. You have to have those listed out. You should be able to sit down depending on your sphere. I know you do this nationwide, but you should be able to sit down and tell somebody very easy uh, uh, who your top, top 10, top 15 that you want to work with. Excellent. So, Excellent. yep. So the, the, the step three, so let's jump in that so I can start to answer your question because that might be where your listeners are too, is the, the step three is to build your buyer profile. And I, I'll spend, uh, the, the last two are a little quicker. So I want to spend some time here but your, your, your buyer profile is really what you're doing. You're, you're, you're pulling the research and the information on those ideal clients. Okay. So, you, so you're starting to build this database. So I'll give you a, an example. I did this year, years ago. I started with the old Excel before I had a really good CRM. Now I do this on my CRM, but it was an Excel and it would have, you know, let's say the, the like, let's go back to that banking. I said 150 clients. You know, here, here's the CEO, here's the bank, I'd have the contact information. And then I'd start acquiring through either joint contacts that I find on LinkedIn or through other sources, I would start to kind of find those things that were important to them so that I could start to get a flavor for how they start to make their buying decisions. So what I'm looking for is who are they, how do they buy, and how do I then attract them? And that's really where you start to build out this buyer this ideal buyer profile so do you are your sources uh, other than linkedin are there are there other sources that are valuable to you that's I mean, that's kind of where most businesses go for for clients i know i do uh because they're all there I and mean, those are business people on linkedin yep so so there's um we'll start with this um you obviously you have you have online and then you can go all the way to where there's companies out there that you can purchase that data from, you know, and 
and you're going to spend a lot of money to do that. I really have never done that. I've kind of, I've been the guy digging the dirt out of the shovel, you know, with a shovel. Right. It just worked better for me. But one of the things that, you know, I'll start with like LinkedIn and I'll start to figure out who, you know, uh, who do they follow? What groups are they a part of? You know, on my website for your listeners, if they go to boilingfrogdevelopment.com, under resources, I've got downloadable forms. I don't ask for emails, but you can uh, download that. And I've got decision maker worksheets that you can use. And it gives some sources on there where you can go and you can start to pull that data and where do they go? What associations are they with? Those types. And that's really finding out who they are, mm -hmm. how they buy and how you attract them. That takes a lot more dirt. So let me jump to how you attract them. Then I'll answer how they buy because that's what everybody wants to kind of know but attracting them let's say that in my example the 150 ceos in, in in my pool let's say that i go out on linkedin and this is what i would do meticulous you're going to laugh at me but I, on this excel sheet i would start to figure out who are they following for groups who are these people interested who are what kind of what kind of messages are they listening what kind of things are they they because i'm trying to build that that overall profile again not only who they are but how they make decisions. And so let's just say that in my example, that 60% of my CEOs follow Simon Sinek. Let's just use Simon Sinek. And for your listeners that don't know, Simon Sinek wrote, wrote um, starts with why I think leaders eat last and now most recent wasn't like infinite game. So he's a, yeah, I think so. that's one of his new ones. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, so, so the first thing that I'm going to do is 60% of my decision makers are following that kind of work. It's, it's pretty more, it's pretty likely that 80 or 90% of them are. And so the first thing I'm going to do, this may seem very simple, but I'm, I'm buying all of his books. I'm following his blogs. I'm finding out what's going on. What is Simon Sinek talking about? Anything that I can get, because what I want to do is I want to try to get in the same language. We're trying to find their voice, but we got to talk the same language. Now, what do you do with that? Well, let's just take starts with why, right? That was, that was about finding, wasn't it about finding your why and kind of finding your purpose, if I remember? Yeah, not only does it, does it focus you the way you need to be focused, but it tells everyone else what's important to you. You reveal yourself. Uh, it's, a, it's an excellent book for those of you excellent. that haven't read it. That's right. And, and, and so in simplicity, what you're doing with this type, and this is just a simple example. I mean, you can find where people are following, but now all of a sudden I understand the language of my dream client's voice. So you think about it, Ron, all of my phone calls, all of my voicemails, all of my emails, all of my LinkedIn requests, uh, whatever other social media and whatever, what um, any of my uh, blogs, because a lot of times I'll write a blog and I'll send that specifically to you or a video like this will all be geared with those types of words in there. So let's go back to my 150 that need sales coaching. So now I'm going to send that to them because if I've over time, I've acquired their email or they're connected to LinkedIn, I'm going to send that information, a, a nice little blog as an example about coaching. But in the title is going to be helping your bankers find their whys through coaching. Right. Helping a banker find purpose with sales coaching, right? You know, so I'm using those words because I know that that's what these individuals by and large are following. Because what am I trying to do? I'm trying to get them to click on there. And then of course, as you know, the blog, this is just a piece of the business development, but you, now all of a sudden you position yourself as an authority or, or you're sharing some of your knowledge. So as we go through these steps, when you, this is more probably towards the end, but it's really starting to understand what are they following? What are, they, what are these people interested in? Now, to the thing that is probably most important, we've, we've established, you know, obviously, who are they? And then we just talked about how do we attract them? The last thing that you want to do, Ron, is you want to find out how they make buying decisions. And I don't know how we are on time, um, um, uh, but- uh, Actually, I was gonna let you finish that, but since you, uh, since you stopped to ask me about time, let's take a quick, uh, a quick break yeah. right here. I wanna identify once again who we are, what we're doing, and, uh, and where folks can find us. So I'm Ron Bush, I own Ron Bush Consulting. We're a cybersecurity consultancy, and um, we come to you on a, on a, in a number of ways. Uh, you're listening to or watching the Information Playground. Uh, we come to you either on WVLP and their uh, call letters are 103.1 
or excuse me, call letters or WVLP, their website adds .org to it. Uh, radio station, uh, uh, if you're local in Valparaiso, Indiana, it's 103.1 FM, check them out. Uh, I, I'm, I think you'll be glad you did. Um, as for uh, other places, the, you can find the information playground on uh, podcasting platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I always mention those because everybody knows those. There's others. Uh, you can also find us uh, on YouTube, uh, and those are obviously going to be on demand. Uh, our guest today is uh, uh, Larry Young. Larry, uh, let people know how to get in touch with you. He's the uh, He's the owner and founder of Boiling Frog Development. He's written a book called uh, Walk the Sales Plank. It's an excellent book. Uh, he's a, a business strategist, uh, business development strategist. Uh, tell people how to reach you and then, uh, and then uh, let's get back into it. Perfect. Yeah. So I made it easy. You can reach me at boilingfrogdevelopment.com. Uh, email is boilingfrogdevelopment at gmail.com. Or you can look at, look me up at Facebook at, at Boiling Frog Development. I'll LinkedIn. I'm under my name, Larry Young. But those are all ways you can message me and, uh, and start a conversation. Great. So we're on step three, build a buyer profile. We've talked about who they are, how they buy, how to attract them. Um, and, and actually, we haven't. We're getting ready uh, to talk about how they buy. We've yeah. covered yeah. the other two. So this is a well-researched uh, topic, Ron, and, 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 and companies can pay a lot of money for marketing research, marketing consultants, if you will, that will go out. Um, you, can, uh, you can find, I believe, uh, like qualitative, research, uh, qualitative researchers that you can hire to call target customers and try to find this stuff out. And those types of things you can clearly pay money for, and you have to decide whether they're worth you know, their, their, their weight. As we said in step three, and I want to, I'm glad we took a break because I wanted to spend a little bit more time here. So we talked about how you can start to find out who they are. And I didn't want to oversimplify that, Ron, because what you're really trying to find is what do they follow, what groups, you know, what books, you know, what are the likes and shares on whether that's Facebook and stuff. And then I just wanted to repeat, you know, as we're trying to find how to track them, I gave just a simple way that you could kind of reach out and catch their attention. There's many other ways, but that's part of that. The, the, the piece that is around finding out how they buy, you know, I found that what works for me is I'll, I'll give, you, give you two things that you can use and it doesn't cost hardly a darn thing. And you can do this, Ron, in, in your business. And I, frankly, I just did it all the time. So the first is go look inside your portfolio at your ideal clients. These are the ones that are yielding you the $5 per hundred or, or maybe even the $7 per hundred and sit down and talk to them. Now, I used to do this when I was a market leader. A lot of times is I would go and I would visit with 10 to 20% of our top clients. And literally I told them what we were doing. I would, I would tell them it was kind of a wellness check. And I think I had talked last time on one of your podcasts about a value scorecard and what are we providing for them. But I would ask them questions that um, were really meant, and you gotta be careful with this. So, let me back up. I spend a lot of time with an organization like yours talking to you about how you interview them correctly. Because if you go out, and this had happened all the time in my early years, you know, hey, Ron, how are we doing? I just wanted to kind of have lunch with you or coffee and see how you're doing. A lot of times what I would get is a lot of what I call superfluous stuff, you know, which is, oh, Larry, you're doing great and people are great. And but in the back of the mind, what you're trying to find out is what, how are they making decisions on, on whether they either work with you or what it was that attracted. And so you really got to make them feel safe and you really got to make them. And so a couple of the things that I would do is I would say, tell me, tell me about your decisioning process. Like, let's say I'm still in banking. Tell me about your decisioning process in terms of your banking relationship. When a problem comes up, what are the things that you think about? Now you can be a little bit more direct with a customer. You could do this in your world. Like, I bet you right now, you, I don't want you to, but you could, when we're done, you could write down your five ideal clients, the ones you like working with, that you get along with, they respect your advice, and you're able to get a, a compensation that is appropriate for the work you do. 
And to be able to sit down with them, and you can do that on Zoom or you can do that at lunch, but to be able to ask them, you know, you have choices, but what is it that makes you feel comfortable about working with us? Or what is it that when you're making a decision on a new cybersecurity threat, you know, why is it that, that, that I am the one that you choose? And if you're just authentic and you're just true, sometimes you, you'll get it out of them, but you have to sometimes, what I want your listeners to grab is you got to realize sometimes when you're just getting the fluff and what you're after, I don't want to lose sight of this, what you're after is how do they make decisions? So when you're thinking about a new cyber serve, you know, when you're thinking about a new cybersecurity process or something, uh, a training around your employees, what are the things that you are talking about in the conference room? Right? Because that's what you're trying to figure out. And if you do this enough, if you rinse and repeat, think about going through all of our steps, you know, we're establishing the ideal target market, we know where we're going, we're building a buyer profile, eventually you'll start to see these trends. You'll start to see these with customers. One of the um, cool things I started doing is I would have good customers. So I want your listeners to grab what I call a pro tip or a, you know, a hot tip, if you will. But a lot of times I would be getting that information and, and you're like, yeah, it's not, it's not, you're being a little general, right? Or they're just being nice. One of the things that I, I started asking your listener, I'd say, Ron, um, I know that you get called on by my competitors all the time. And I appreciate the fact that you stayed loyal to us and I appreciate you sharing why you bank with us or work with us. But the question I have is what is the thing that those competitors say to you that make you take pause? What is the thing that makes you do a double take when they talk to you about either a new product or service or something that makes you kind of think, oh, that was kind of interesting. And you just quiet your mouth and you just take notes. Like and this is where you start to, and this will tie into the next step, you know, when we get to that, you'll start to kind of figure out what's your competitive advantage, or you might figure out a new product or a service or an offering or something like that. Ron, somebody might say, you know, I love working with you. I love your people. I love your knowledge. Um, you're easy to work with. Uh, but the one thing that, you know, kind of makes me take pause is your competitors are now offering a warranty. I don't know what a warranty would look like in your world. I'm spitballing here, it's not right? Possible. <laughs> you yeah, can't right. Make anybody hack proof. <laughs> okay. <but> fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Right. Okay. Well, then, then, well, now you realize that's not your ideal. Okay. So <laughs> fair enough. But um, but but at the end of the day, what you start to kind of figure out as well, I, you know, what is the type of thing that makes them take pause? Uh -huh. And that's really what you want to know. Yeah. And so that is one powerful strategy for finding that. The second is calling on the prospects or the customers that you didn't win the business. Now, this is one of the coolest ways. Now, both of these are very simple. They're not always easy. But the tact on this one, just like the first one, is in the interview. It's all in how you go about letting the interview flow. So a lot of times I would do this as the leader of the market, as the leader of the organization, because sometimes uh, if the sales professional that lost the deal called them, sometimes they would clam up, you know, that type of thing, or they wouldn't accept the meeting. Right. So this is a longer conversation than we have time for, but you gotta, you gotta try to figure out where the timing is and who the right people are, you know, that type of thing and which deals to call on. I can tell you that out of all the calls I made on lost deals, probably 65 to 70% of Ron would accept the appointment. So the way that you have to go about this is that you have to position them with a couple things. You have to position that you're out there to help make your organization better. So you're out there to fact find. It starts to lower the defense. The second thing I would always tell them is you will not hear me rebuttal or defend anything that you say. The worst thing that you can do is they say, well, you know, I didn't think you had expertise. Well, what do you mean we don't have expertise? You know, you don't want to have that animosity or they'll just clam up you know, those types of things. And so you really have having, whether that's over coffee or a phone call, hopefully in person, if you can do it is ideal. I know that's tough with uh, COVID now, but nevertheless, um, having these conversations as the leader, look, say, Ron, look, I'm just trying to get better. I'm just trying to get better. And it's amazing the insight that you can get from that. I love it. I love it. I've done parts of that over the years. I've not been 
as pointed as you are. An example, I used to always meet with clients annually, take them to lunch. I'd have a, 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 just a a questionnaire right in front of me. Uh, Some years I sent them to them ahead of time, just so they know what we'd be talking about. So they'd be prepared. And I would tell them, I, I just want to know the answers to these, you know, I never thought about doing it with, uh, with prospects that said no. Um, that's an excellent idea. Yeah. The, in the other case, it was always what kind of job are we doing? What could we do better? What, right. have, what have we done where we made a mistake? Um, is there anything I need to address? Those kind of things. And then, and then at the end, what else, would you, what else could we do that mm-hmm. we're not doing now? Yeah. So it was, it was very well received. I've kind of gotten away from that, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, which again, what we're staying on, I'm staying on this point for a reason, because the more work that you do in this area over time, it's not sure it can be bought, but if you want the real stuff, you know, getting your sales professional, your sales professionals in your organization know the customer better than any. So you should be interviewing them first. And then interviewing these clients, you start to build kind of a, a what is happening. So we talked about customers getting them unstuck, you know, prospects are even harder, right? They're, they're even harder because they can get kind of defensive. Like, you know, Larry, it, it just came down to price. Well, did it, you know, I mean, that type of thing. So one of the questions that I asked them that kind of uh, puts them at ease and kind of gets the interview started is I'll ask them, you know, something to the effect of, tell me about the day that you discovered that you needed this solution. Tell me about the day like that moment when you realized, and so if we're just joking or kind of role playing, you know, Ron, you might say to me, well, this is when Karen all of a sudden realized, or Karen in my office read an article that there's fraud, you know, is rampant in our industry. And she was all concerned. And so then now what you're doing is, oh, wow, that had to have been stressful, right? And, and tell me, tell me how the conversation went between you and Karen. And so you, you're asking about that, because what are we after? We're after how they made this decision. And so then you, you know, you kind of figure out, you kind of walk them through them, just keep them walking through that. So when you left that meeting, Ron, with Karen that day, what, who, who was in charge of what? Like who, whose role? And then you said, well, I, you say, well, I left it to Karen and she was going to research three different vendors. You were one of them. That's a, and so anyways, we could keep role playing this out. But the idea is you spend that time understanding how Ron and Karen made the decision. And what it does is it starts to build a framework for asking them then, so tell me, because what you're after is, when you got down to the three, what was the thing based on, you know, the day you found out and the diligence that you did, what is the thing that really made you push towards the other? Was it really, and, and some people will say to you, you know what, it simply it was a price decision, okay? Go back to step number one. If I can't be the low cost provider, if I'm not gonna do cost leadership and I don't wanna go from $5 per hundred down to four, well then okay, then maybe this isn't my ideal, but you still get some good decisioning stuff out of it. Right. If they said to you, you know, the thing that I realized with you know, the whoever wanted is they just had more competence. We just felt, Karen just felt more secure. Okay, now you're starting to get that. What I found over time, uh, many different things when I did this, but with my sales team, and this is kind of one of these Larry duh moments, but the the more complex the decision, the more they wanted credibility and and understanding of their business. The more that the complexity of the uh, solution was, they wanted credibility and they wanted to understand the business. And the more decision makers that were involved in the organization, same thing. So that's just a simple example. And so what I realized is, here's my suite of products that are competent, or here's my ideal customer that has multiple decisioners. Now all of a sudden I know that my salespeople need to beef up their knowledge and credibility. You see how this kind of works uh, together. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, um... We've got, we've got three now, and I, I appreciate the time you spent on, on the buyer profile. We've got to establish the destination where you yeah. want to go. Start with your target customer in mind. Build the buyer profile, which is who they are, how they buy, how to attract them. And you've got a, a download on your website, which is boilingfrogdevelopment.com, 
What's step number four? Yeah, step number four is to find your competitive advantage. And this one I get excited about. The other two are very, uh, will be very simple. But if you've done one, two, and three, four get better. So what happens most of the time in strategic planning is they'll, out of that, they'll say, well, here's our competitive advantage. Here's our goal. We want to grow 10%. Here's our competitive advantage. And they just assume that. But you'll see that this work that you do in two and three make all the difference in the world. Here's the problem I have. I'll, I won't get on my soapbox, but I get a little fired up. I think I shared this idea with you one other time. And so I just, I just met with this, this young lady. She worked for an architecture firm and she wanted coaching. So I was just doing this on an individual level, not a, not a, a, a company level. And so I met with her and she had all the skills. She was smart. She was articulate. So I didn't think from a sales standpoint, she probably struggled. There's maybe one or two little things she could tweak. And I asked her, so if you think about our steps, this is great for your listeners to kind of, kind of follow through. So I asked her, well, it's, you know, what's the problem? Well, she tries to identify, well, I can't, I can't get these big clients to give me a bit on the deal. All right, well, let's start with your target market. Do you know who your target market? This, this young lady, she not only named them, but she named the CEOs of those five companies. Okay, so you can see we're moving down the process. And I said to her, all right, can you get appointments with these people? She was in a heartbeat. I get appointments with them this afternoon. I have rapport with them. Okay, well, if that's true, then that's not a problem. And I said, well, tell me what your competitive advantage is. I mean, what is your firm? There's 40 others of you in this you know, the city, what is it that you do? And so she articulated this very long answer and that type of thing. And so in brevity, I kind of took her through and I said, all right, you, 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 you can sell and you've got the target and you can get the appointment and get in front of them, you can attract them. And you're telling me this, why are you not closing deals? If that competitive advantage is really a competitive advantage and your borrowers or potential people really care about it, uh, why are you not closing more deals? And of course there's, the blank stare, which is usually what I get in an organization. So when you go through these levers and steps and you're still not getting the result, the issue is, is that her firm really doesn't have a competitive advantage. Well, they, they do. I'm sorry, they do. They just didn't know how to define it. And if a CEO or a leader can't define the competitive advantage, how do you expect the salespeople to? So the reason I get on a soapbox on this topic, Ron, is because what ended up happening is the salespeople get blamed for this. The salespeople, well, they're not hauling in business. Well, if you, well, you know, so they'll, they'll churn salespeople over and over and over. And then eventually when that doesn't work, they'll churn the sales manager over and then, and then we'll come up with a new strategy. And so if I've got a, if I meet with a sales team and they can't articulate what they're, what, what they do different that they can charge a premium for and win business, then, then, then the problem isn't necessarily them. And so I, I get a little fired up on this, but if you, if, if an organization does these first three, you find your competitive advantage and that's what you go to market with. You know, it, it strikes me and I'm guilty of this myself. You know, there, most of us are really good at analyzing situations or analyzing things. We can, we can look at somebody else. We can look at another business. We can look at, at anything besides ourselves. And, and we can come away with a, a good, uh, a good, I guess, basic knowledge of what needs to happen. How do you fix this? Easy. But then you turn it, then you go look in the mirror and you turn all that on yourself. Most of us can't do that. Most of us have trouble talking about ourselves. I mean, we were taught, you know, be humble, you know, pride yeah, goes before right. a fall, all that right. stuff, you know. So, uh, you know, it's hard for some of us to do that. It's hard for, for someone to, to shine a light and say, here I am, this is my competitive advantage because I do this better than you know, Joe Schmo over here does or anybody else. I think that's probably a, a personal thing, but it's, it's something that many of us just have to cross. Yeah. He's gotta be subject or not subjective, but objective and look at yourself the same way you would others. Well, I've, I've always subscribed, and this will sound a little bit arrogant, but I've always subscribed to the philosophy that it's not bragging if you're right. And if you understand who your ideal prior profile is and you understand what's important to them, that's why you do all that work, then all you're doing is you're delivering that. And you're saying, I can deliver that. And I know that that's important to you. And well, what so, I love about your system is it does, it enables us to do that. It that's right. To, to, instead of being subjective, be objective. Put Bush out here, yeah. take a look at him and go through those steps. I love that. So the short answer for your listeners, the value, and then we'll move on to the next one is what I told her to do is I said, 
go get go if you can go get a meeting with them go ask those customers go ask those prospects just like we were doing that buyer profile say you know i haven't gotten any business from you in some time or our firm hasn't i want to know what are the most important things when you make buying decisions what are you what are you doing and and if they go boom it's this you go all right and again you're just quantifying you're saying all right so that's important if they come back and say well it's just a price thing well okay let's slide price along the side and what's the second thing What's the thing that if I did so well for you, you wouldn't care on price that you'd actually pay a premium just to ask your prospect that, right? If they're your ideal people, just ask them if they said, well, it's this, you know, go do your homework. And then when you're walking out the door, say, look, on your next project, would you give me a chance to show you this, A and B? And more than likely when you're bold enough to do that, they'll say, yeah, I'll give you a shot. And then show them A and show them B. Excellent. Fantastic way. So I don't want to cut us short. We've got about 10 minutes. Um, let's get into five and six. Yeah. So the easy one, the step five is you choose your strategy. And that's pretty brief. That's, am I going to do inbound? Am I going to do outbound? Am I going to social media? Am I going to do a voicemail, email sequence? You know, um, how, how are we going to go about that to kind of deliver, like I said, those blogs or whatever that happens to be. And so that's usually based on who that ideal is and research and experience from, from a guy like me or a firm that will say, look, they are more susceptible to this. Let's do this sequence. Step six is really then you choose your tactic. And there's four tactics that you really generally, that there, there could be a bunch of them, but they all come down to really four. One is really the idea of value selling. The second is relationship selling. The third is your key account selling. And the fourth is your, is your solution selling. And so this is the time where we are checking the company's process and the resource and whether they have the talent to deliver that whole string that we've talked about, those first five steps, and do they need the training then to deliver? Because each one of those are different. They're different in your strategy, yeah. So I think we have enough time. Um, let's, let's talk about that. The checking the process and resources, value selling, relationship. Sure. Now spend some time and, and define those if you would, and how do you, how do you determine? Yeah, we can fill, fill uh, cause, cause now after you've gone through all that, and again, we're taking this at a 10,000 foot level, right? I mean, we would be dealing in spending all day or two days with a company drilling down on how this looks and sounds and buy-in before we even get to this point. But let's go through those. So you're, so you're, uh, I'll do them in reverse. So like your solution selling is an example. That is the idea of the consultative selling. Typically, this is an all-inclusive, but typically that works well with a middle-sized company. So you've got your mom and pops, but now the companies are maybe two to 20 million in revenue, two to 30 million in revenue that usually have some type of C-suite or bookkeeper or office manager. A lot of times solution selling is a great tactic. Again, this is not all inclusive. You have to go through the six steps to know this, but typically that works because you're going to them and you're saying, look, I know you have a problem. I've asked you some questions, we see there's a problem, and now I'm looking for where my solution intersects their problem, and now I'm gonna offer a solution to fix your deal. So that's what solution selling is in short. Your key account selling is a strategy that is based on what I call like a concierge service. So I go out and I tell you, Ron, you're, you're, you're one of my key accounts. This is how the sales process works. Here's how I present things to you. Here's how this all works. So it's very transparent and it's very hands-on and I'm dedicating people and resources to those accounts. So key accounts sounds just like it is. And that's a strategy that you can kind of see in different firms sometimes and maybe a little bit larger customers would be a little bit more like that where you're probably maybe in that middle market space uh, 50 to maybe a billion in revenues. Again, it's not a hard and fast rule. You have to understand the other. The, um, the third one is the relationship selling and that gets the most buzz, the most books and the most talk. And really what that is, is that is a function of building a sales process that creates rapport and it creates credibility and it creates relationships. Now your listeners will probably think, well, I do some combination of all of those. You may do some of those. Relationship selling works very well on the mom and pops because you're, you're in there, you've got a relationship and those types of things. And so it's built on being a trusted advisor and now you're, you're helping them guide them. They're asking, they're saying, I don't know what I don't know. So tell me what that is. 
Whereas what I found is the larger that you get in the organizations you sell to, not that it's not important, but relationship is less important than either solution or key account. If you're dealing with a company, Ron, that has a procurement area, in, especially, or they have an area that is like a purchasing department, so it's a, it's a big company, and you're only dealing with purchase managers, your value selling a lot of times can be your best play. And value selling in short, again, I think I told you I could talk for days on value selling, but the, the short version of value selling is I'm offering you some level of value for the product or service I'm giving, less the cost that I'm, that I'm charging you. And so really value selling, in my opinion, the people that win in that strategy are the ones that can pr prove the best net value position, the difference between value and cost. Excellent. Excellent. So we're, uh, we're at that five minute point. Last thoughts, sum it up for us, if you would, and, and, uh, and take us where we need to land. So I'm going to give, I'm going to leave your listeners with two things. The number one thing that I see most often is that the, the, the steps aren't followed. What the mistake that you're throwing money away, and I can say this because I'm in this world, is they'll come in and say, hey, we need to ramp up our sales team, right? And they're not selling enough. So let's go hire a sales trainer, you know? And so all they're doing, in essence, not everyone, so I don't want to make a blanket statement, but they're jumping in and they're saying, boom, here's step number six. Or, you know, and, and so we're just going to train on this. We'll talk about rapport and we'll teach you to sell that. Well, what if you're a key account or you're a value selling organization and you're training your people on relationship selling? There's an incongruency. The second thing that I will tell you is I have found, your listeners, is I have found more value, especially in steps three and four, of doing a lot of the work myself sitting around the table, having a meal, having a coffee, or now having a Zoom call and just talking to people and being authentic and asking them what they care about. And to me, Ron, it is the best market research that you can possibly get. And you can start to understand what people really care about and you can start to talk their language. And those two things, amongst many things, but those are two things I'd leave your listeners with with this process. Excellent. Well, Larry, I, I really appreciate all, all the wisdom that you've, uh, you've imparted in these four parts. Um, I, uh, I feel like I've gotten a, a, a an extremely uh, valuable education just talking to you. And I, I hope our listeners, I believe they will feel the same way. Uh, this, this is available on YouTube as podcast as well as podcasts. So they can go back and listen to it over and over again. If That's they, right. If they That's desire. Right. I didn't take as many notes this time because I plan to do just that. Yeah. Uh, go back and, and listen to it. Um, Ron, I would challenge you to grab a whiteboard, you know, in your, in your office there. And then like you said, re-listen back because these are the steps I would take anybody through, you know, and again, it's at a high level, but you can start to write that out. Okay. Step one, what does that look like? What does that feel like? Step two. And then when you get to like step three, especially set goals each week, to say, look, I'm going to call on two, cust two of my ideal customers and interview them, two prospects that I lost. But make that a habit because none of this works without all the steps are important, but ste step three is important. If you don't have a buyer profile and spend the time on it, no amount of money you spend is going to be successful. Yeah. So. Great advice. So you can be reached at boi boilingfrogdevelopment at gmail.com. Uh, your website is boilingfrogdevelopment.com. Got it. And uh, I hope people contact you. I, I, I really, uh, really appreciate the great education. I hope that you come back. I can't wait for the next time we get together because I've thoroughly enjoyed these four parts, uh, these four sections. Uh, you've been listening to the Information Playground. I'm Ron Bush with Ron Bush Consulting, and I hope that you tune in either locally in Valparaiso, Indiana at uh, WVLP. You can stream us from anywhere on the planet at WVLP.org, or you can find us on demand at uh, the Information Playground, any of your podcast platforms. I think all the ones that I'm, I'm aware of, we're on. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, 
under the information playground. If you're uh, curious about uh, Ron Bush Consulting, uh, check us out, ronbushconsulting.com. I, I like things simple as, as much as I can keep them that way. Uh, shoot off a, uh, an email to me if you like, ron at ronbushconsulting.com. And uh, check out my book, if you would, on Amazon, uh, Staying Safe in a Very Dangerous World and Think Before You Click. And Larry's book is Walk the Sales Plank. It's a great title. So thank you, Larry, for being with us. Thank you, folks, for watching and listening to us. Have a great day and a great week and stay safe and healthy. <laughs>